Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. This is Thomas. Thomas, introduce yourself. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me on your show. Um, I uh, discovered your podcast uh, a couple about a month ago, and I've really enjoyed it. I, I appreciate how you um, focus on the things you love about movies, and mm-hmm. I, I I appreciate that you know there's a lot of negativity sometimes about movies, and just simply enjoying the things we love about them. And so, yeah, big fan of your show. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, that is exactly what you said is the aim of the show is I, I just want to talk about what people love about a movie. Um, so we'll definitely dive in and talk about this one. What, what movie did you select today? So I picked uh, one of my favorite movies, which is Inception. Mm-hmm. I am right there with you. This is one of my all-time favorite films. I am so excited to talk about it. Um, so when did you first see this movie? So I, I saw this movie opening day in uh, July of 2010 when it first came out. I, um, I'm i a huge Nolan fan, so I'm pretty much everything he does is I'm on board for it. And I to me, he does no wrong. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people out there that <laughs> they they love some of his stuff, not as much everything. But um, So I'm also a huge Batman fan. Batman's my favorite superhero, so The Dark Knight had just came out two years before this. So mm-hmm. when, the, when the marketing came out and it... I was already sold that it was Christopher Nolan, but they were using the whole Dark Knight, the director of the Dark Knight, um, the trailers. I really didn't know a ton about it going into the movie, I remember. I knew it had something to do with dreams, but it was pretty vague. But I was just, I was so stoked because the trailers looked cool, it was original, and of course, Christopher Nolan was involved, so I was sold. But Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I am actually a really big Christopher Nolan fan, and I think I feel the exact same way. I think... I don't remember if I've seen Insomnia. If I have, it's been a really long time, but it, I think that might be the only one of his movies I haven't seen. Loved The Prestige, you know, love... We'll, we'll dive into his entire catalog, and i also obsessed with the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, but, yeah, this movie, I think I saw the trailers for it, and the trailers just hooked me, and I, I love Christopher Nolan, like I said, so I, I saw it in theaters. I don't know if I saw it opening day. I can't remember if I saw it opening day. But I know that I saw it and was instantly in love with it. And it kind of vaguely reminded me of another movie. Um, I need to pull up when this one came out. But there's an animated film. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Paprika. Um, um, I, I've heard of it, but I've, I've never seen it before. Okay. There, yeah, so it was a movie that came out in 2006. It's animated. Okay. And it's very similar uh, plot where... You know, you have these people that are diving into dreams and the motivations for diving into dreams are different, but there's kind of a lot of parallels in the movie. So 
I didn't know exactly what to expect, but like right away when I started watching it, it kind of called back to that movie for me. So, mm-hmm. and I, and I love that movie. So I was like, yes, I'm so on board. Um, so in this part of the show, typically we just kind of, before we move forward, I'll just do the synopsis really quick. Okay. And then we'll kind of go from there. So here yeah. we go. Synopsis for 2010 Inception. Dom Cobb is a thief with the rare ability to enter people's dreams and steal their secrets from their subconscious. His skill has made him a hot commodity in the world of corporate espionage, but also has cost him everything he loves. Cobb gets a chance at redemption when he is offered a seemingly impossible task, plant an idea in someone's mind. If he succeeds, it will be the perfect crime. But a dangerous enemy anticipates Cobb's every move. So, um, that's the synopsis. But it's a pretty detailed synopsis. It is. I, a lot of mine are like super short. You've probably heard on some of the episodes. Yeah. But that one, I feel, you know, Inception is just, it's a complex story. And I thought, should pick one of the longer ones. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a pretty good synopsis too. I mean, without giving too much away. So Exactly. And we'll dive into all of it. This is definitely not spoiler free. So um, at this point, I usually give a couple quick facts. So I'll mm-hmm. give a couple quick facts about the movie. And yeah. if you want to kind of jump in after me. Yeah, have I have a, a few as well. Awesome. Uh, mm. I love that. Okay. So my first one is in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Christopher Nolan explained that he based the roles of Inception of the Inception team similar to the roles that are used in filmmaking. Cobb is the director. Arthur is the producer. Ariadne is the production designer. Erms is the actor. Saito is the studio. And Fisher is the audience. In trying to write a team-based creative process, I wrote the one I know, said Nolan. Yeah, I actually recently just heard that too as I was kind of watching the film and reading about it this last few days. And I just think that's that's really fascinating because Christopher Nolan, I, from to me, one of his big strengths, obviously he's a director and writer, producer, but he also always is seeking out the best talent to work with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the cast he put together, I mean, for, oh, for sure. when Batman Begins came out, you know, they... I know he took some inspiration from um, Superman, the you know the Christopher Reeve Superman of trying to draw some big names, but he always has fantastic casts, and along with that, he he hires the best you know composers, the best um, sound designers, the best cinematographer. At least in my opinion, I, I oh think no, I does totally a great agree. job at putting those teams <laughs> together. So I think that's really cool that he he structured his this film around you know that what a team is to put puts the movie together. Kind of it's kind of cool. Yeah, I've heard, and I, and I every time I say this fact, I need to back it up, but I, I heard on a podcast, and I can't remember which one it was, about film, that a lot of his movies kind of have this element of film in them, like The Prestige, they said something about like how there is a, a reveal, and you know how there's that like step process, yeah. I can't remember all mm-hmm. of it, but he said that that's kind of like the process of filmmaking also, and that in some way a lot of his work kind of calls back to that, which I really love. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I saw a YouTube video about that. Um, it was, it was around when Dunkirk came out. It was coming, it was going around. I remember this last summer and it talked about how his movies follow that prestige structure that That's outlined right. in the movie. So that, that must be what I'm thinking of. Well, yeah. um, I'm going to have to find that and, and put that in our group and put that on Twitter now that we talked about it. Uh, <laughs> my other fact I had was in spite of the film's extensive surreal effect sequences, the majority of the visual effects throughout the film, such as the Penrose staircase, the rotating hallway, mountain avalanche, and zero gravity sequences were actually created through practical methods and not through the use of computer graphic imagery. 
So the film only has around 500 visual effects shots, as opposed to most other visual effects, you know, movies that have like, I read upwards of 2000 effects. So, which is crazy to think for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just, I mean, even the, uh, I, I was watching some of the special features and they, they go through the whole, um, hallway fight scene that yeah, they, I saw that. and that how, good. and kind of a cool fact is Joseph Gordon-Levitt did most of his stunts for that. Um, but they, they built that set and they were literally turning it, which I always thought it was like, I don't, I don't know, I guess I didn't really know how they did it, but I watched that and it was just really cool to see that that was actually a full on set that they built for that. Yeah, it's 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 insane because this movie is so incredibly visual. You would just expect that it be mostly CG. And I remember thinking when it came out that you know they couldn't have done it 10, 20 years ago. And I mean that's probably still true with some of the effects, but to know that that many were practical. I did the same thing you did. Um actually right before we jumped on this call, I was watching all the special features and they talk specifically about that train scene. Um, the, the rotating hallway and the stairs, um, all of which I thought were CG. So I was really blown yeah. away by that. Um, you mentioned you had a couple of quick facts. Do you want to jump into? Um, yeah. So I kind of mentioned the um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt one. That was one that I had had noted down. Um, now, I don't know if this is necessarily like a fact, but something I found really interesting about Nolan's um, creation for this movie is he originally had pitched it i think it was before batman begins even he, uh, i think it was after memento he wanted to do it um but then he kind of decided he wanted to get a little bit more experience because he knew this needed to be a you know a grand scale film and probably a large budget and he hadn't necessarily done one of those yet so he um that's when he pitched batman begins instead but this he had been working on this for i think it was eight or ten years um because i think that was back around 2002 2003 um, and then, yeah, he, he, it was released in 2010, but it just, it, I think it's really interesting that this movie took him that long and he put that much time into it. Um, and you know, you can see the, all the effort he put into, cause it shows that this is a very well thought out film. As I was watching it uh, again, there's so many different things that like the rules they establish in the movie that they, they continually kind of make quick comments to remind you of the rules of, of these dreams and everything, which would have taken a lot of thought to really come together. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and then I think where he kind of came up with the idea is what, what I read was his, yeah, he, he was wondering what would happen if several people shared the same dream. And mm-hmm. now I think was inspiration for the whole film is just kind of that idea. And then trying to further explore that concept of sharing dreams with other people, which is, is a really fascinating question. I think to think about, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I read the same thing you did, that it was about 10 years of the making. I think even earlier than um, Memento, maybe back to Insomnia, um, unless that came out after, I can't remember. Memento might have been the first movie he made, but um, yeah, he pitched it and the studios were like, sure, let's do it. And then he spent like 10 years working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other factoid that I had was just that Christopher Nolan had said the snow-based third level of the dream was inspired by his favorite James Bond film mm-hmm. uh, on her on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I thought that was cool. I was like, you know that, I mean, a lot of the movie feels kind of Bondish in a way. Right. But um, that scene in particular definitely like called back to yeah. me. And it's funny. I, I've only seen on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service when I was, it was when I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um 
my dad's a huge James Bond fan, so we used to grow up. We'd have like we call them James Bond parties, and but I haven't wow. gone back and revisited a lot of the old Bond films as much as I would like to. But that was something I did remember was the snow sequences, and that definitely has that feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also to me when I watched Inception, it's it's got the Bond feel, it's got a heist movie, you know, For vibe sure. to it, and then it's also science fiction, but. The same time, though, it also feels like it's it's a it's its completely own unique thing, and that's one thing that I just love about it is that it brings those elements, but then it creates something brand new with it. Oh, totally! I think uh, I was watching it last night, and I was thinking, I almost forget because the concepts are so complicated and it's so science fiction, like you said. I kind of forget how action packed it is. It's almost <laughs> like the audience kind of needs that, you know, in order right. to to stay excited and invested in all these ideas, you're also giving them action at the same time. And I think that's right. I mean, that, that just must be such a difficult balance, but it's so perfect. Um, we kind of have already been discussing Christopher Nolan, but I just wanted to add a little bit more about him that, you know, he considers Stanley Kubrick and Ridley Scott to be his main influences, which makes me very excited because <laughs> those are a couple other directors that I greatly admire. And I definitely see that influence in his work, uh, especially Kubrick just visually. Yeah. You know, and, and Ridley Scott with his attention to detail, like. I was really surprised watching the behind the scenes of Inception, the amount of detail that goes into everything. And I definitely had flashbacks to when I was watching the behind the scenes of like Alien or Blade Runner. You know, Mm -hmm. that's part of what really makes those movies feel so real and so grounded. You know, it's like they're science fiction, but they kind of transcend the the genre because of the level of detail. And I think that that's what, uh, you know, that's what's brought to this movie and so many of other Nolan's work is his respect for that, you know? Right. Well, one thing I love about Nolan is he, like you said, like these filmmakers that he, you know, is inspired by, but he creates his own thing. Like when you watch a Nolan movie, it's a Nolan movie. It's, I mean, you can tell that there's inspiration, like you mentioned from, um, you know, Stanley Kubrick or, I mean, I've even heard him say George Lucas before or other, you know, and Ridley Scott, of course, but, but at the same time, it's, it's a, it's a Christopher Nolan movie. And there's not many, I feel like there's not very many filmmakers out there is that their movies feel like he's almost like his own brand. You know, we've got Mm -hmm. like, you've got like the Marvel movies that are huge, you know, DC of course, and then star Wars. But when a Steve or uh, not Steven Spielberg, but when a Christopher Nolan movie comes out to me, it's almost like its own unique thing. Like it's his movies all have this unique thing to it. And he's created his own voice, his own, um, you know, I don't know, just his own unique style. That of course, his films are different, but they, you know, they just pull that name up, Christopher Nolan, and people are gonna, you know, go, go see his movies. So we're, I don't think there's a lot of other directors that have that name recognition like he does now. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, like you said, his movies are highly stylized, and uh, there's a look and feel to all his films. I think one interesting uh, thing that I remember a-, a while back, I was listening to this to a podcast that that reviewed movies and one of the biggest things that like it was just too painful for me to listen to anymore is they were really not Christopher Nolan fans at all they didn't like his movies and I remember Mm -hmm. one of the biggest criticisms they had about his movies is that they felt uh very like cold that you don't deeply get to know the characters necessarily and they're not always three-dimensional and uh you know that he's just kind of like a cold director and 
I thought that was an interesting observation because I think on some level they're right, but I don't think that that's actually a bad thing. Uh, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, take a movie like like this movie where a lot of the characters, I mean, they do have some depth to them, but they are sort of a little bit, they're not 100% three-dimensional, but I think that's because the, the structure of the team and the concepts that they're dealing with in the story, you don't get tons of time to get to know each character, but that's mm-hmm. actually not necessary for the overall plot. It's not necessary right. to tell this story. So he only uses elements that need to tell a story. And I feel like a lot of his movies are about concepts and ideas, and they're more focused on that than on the characters themselves. Like, I think you could say that same thing about the prestige or mm-hmm. memento or Honestly, even The Dark Knight, I remember hearing a criticism about Batman Begins that you don't intimately get to know and get close to to Batman. And there's even like a comment in the movie about how Batman's not just uh, a person. He's like an idea. He's like a I forget how they phrase it in the movie, but it's like he's he's that whole team, you know, Mm -hmm. and and I'm like, that's actually to me, it's a positive. And I think if you like movies like that, that tell stories in that way, then you relate to his work. But if you don't, then you don't like them. Um, And I think the same could be said about some of the other directors that he's inspired by, like Ridley Scott or Stanley Kubrick. It's like sometimes those movies are more focused on ideas and and concepts and the plot than they are in the characters. So I don't know, right. it's just something that I kind of, I've, I've heard that before and I've always been like, actually that's a, it's a positive, not a negative for me. I completely agree with you. I've, we probably listen to the podcast cause I've heard that. <laughs> I've, I've probably heard that a few times and it was kind of, it wasn't really cause I got into podcast, listened to podcasts a couple years back and of course movies have been a passion of mine. So that's where I started with. And I remember maybe I was just out of touch from like what, cause pretty much everyone I know loves Christopher Nolan I don't really know personally too many people that don't like his films but I heard that complaint of and I've also that his movies are emotionless yes Um, and I'm like that yeah it's like yeah I I do not agree with that (laughs) no it's yeah it's kind of like I don't know how else to explain it but it is sort of I do feel that his movies have sort of like an observer point of view almost to them yeah but Mm -hmm. that's not bad that's to me that's good but I take solace in the fact that a lot of other movies I like uh, by other directors have that same criticism, which is why I bring up other ones that that mm. have like that same level of, of, you know, notoriety, because it's like, I think you're expecting all movies to kind of have the same five or six ingredients. And what's cool about Nolan is he sort of goes away from that. He, he goes mm-hmm. after a vision that he has and sticks with it. And I don't necessarily see it as cold, but I guess by comparison to some stories, you know, they do focus more on the emotions and on the characters, but that doesn't make or break a movie for me. So I just, you know, I didn't even notice that until I listened to other other uh, people talk about it and read articles yeah. about it. Um, I, I right. was, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and one thing that I think he his movies are... That a lot of movies don't do is his movies, a lot of times, will, cent- will be sent around a specific theme. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like Batman Begins, for example, Fear. He's mentioned that before, and it's and it's woven in throughout the movie. And sometimes maybe it's a little too on the nose for some people. But I mean, for me, it's never been a distraction from the story. But in Inception, for example, he. I mean, there's there's a lot of things you could pull out, but for me, a big one is kind of 
the difference between understanding reality and dreams and mm-hmm. accepting our realities. And I, to me, I love that his movies present those ideas and that he creates story around that and characters that help propel those ideas and really i mean every christopher nolan movie i see i come out and i'm thinking about it for a couple days and so where a lot of other movies i don't you know i don't necessarily do that and to me that's that's huge that's one thing i love about a film that can really just cause me to think about what i'm watching um and and that's i think yeah maybe he loses a little bit of like the character development um that we get from other films but to me, it's it's a good exchange. So, yeah, I remember I saw Memento in theaters, and I didn't know anything about it. I just I think I was like on a date, and we were just looking for a movie to watch, and just kind of walked in and saw it, and uh, it blew me away, and was an instant fan. And I mean, that's a movie. I mean, where you know you you get to know one character a little bit, but it's mainly about the idea of memories and how how do memories define us and mm-hmm. you know a lot of uh, concepts that you're dealing with instead of getting to know him or his wife or everyone around him and so you know I guess I was on board from that moment on and have never seen that as a negative so yeah i I completely agree with you right. um, And I think this next fact that I kind of have about him sort of plays into that is that, you know, despite the fact that he's directed so many acclaimed films, he's never been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director until this year. Yeah, which is, to me, is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's nuts. It's like, yeah, he's just, he's so beloved. But I think because of what we've been talking about, you know, people just see it so differently um, and I didn't know that because I, I like you, you know, I'm, I'm just a movie fan uh, mm-hmm. and I just got into podcasting really this year, but I'm not a big movie snob. You know, I didn't, you know, study film all through college or anything like that. I took like a couple film classes. That's it. Yeah. And so I had no idea that there was any like resistance to him at all. So it's just been yeah. interesting, but I think time's going to tell, you know, <laughs> T- time yeah, tells. sure. And it's I'm I'm totally like you. I'm not a movie. I love movies. I yeah. Like I a while ago, a couple years ago, I started a blog to review movies, and I just I didn't really enjoy it because I noticed I'd go to movies and I and I would look. I would try to critique them, and I was like, you know what? That's not not really that fun. So, and nothing against people that do that because oh, I, I, I appreciate I, people that do that. But at the too. same time, for me, it was just I have just more fun talking about it. Um, and if I don't like something, then I'm usually good just not bothering to go into it but <laughs> yeah, um, I, agree. <laughs> I mean every once in a while there's a movie I if it's really annoying I gotta maybe say a few things but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for the most part I'm, I enjoy just maybe talking about the movies I like um I did I want to mention one more thing about him so I mentioned oh, before sure. that the um the the claim that he's his movies don't have a lot of emotion um for me I I have to totally disagree with that because I come out of almost every single movie and there's a scene that either like touches me to the core or I'm, you know, I'm just feeling like that, that, you know, those hairs on the back of your neck standing up type of thing. And, you know, I think of like interstellar, the scene where, um, maybe this is a spoiler for interstellar, but when Matthew McConaughey's character is seeing his, his video of his daughter and that Mm -hmm. scene, he is emotional and like that scene gets me. And then even in in inception, there's a few in here that moments like that, that really stand out to me and almost bring me to tears. And, you know, we can get into those later, but I, and of course the Dark Knight trilogy for me is filled with tons of emotional moments, especially the, for me, particularly the last couple minutes of the Dark Knight Rises is a, is a big emotional scene for me. So I, I, I mean, I can, I guess I can kind of see how some people could come to that conclusion, but 
overall, his films to me are filled with a ton of emotion. What did you think of uh, Dunkirk? I I loved it. It was um, it took me kind of twenty minutes or so to kind of get used to what was going on and, and kind of realizing this wasn't going to be a typical war film. But mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and one thing, I, one thing about most Christopher Nolan movies is his. To me, his movies are almost like a puzzle. Yeah. And you have to really pay attention, and you have to put the pieces together. And by the end of it, he wraps them up in a way that most movies don't usually wrap up. And for some people, they don't really like the way it turns out. And and mm-hmm. for Interstellar, and for example, is one that I've heard people love the first two thirds of the, the conclusion. And then, but Dunkirk was one that as the pieces were coming together and I was starting to get the bigger picture, the last 10 minutes of that movie was absolutely beautiful. Um, I loved just how that, that movie finished and it's one of my favorite films that came out in 2017. Oh, for sure. Easily. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I knew because it's Christopher Nolan, it's got to have his stamp, but there was like a part of me that was a little bit afraid when I saw the trailers, I was like, even though he's done Batman, so I don't know why I was worried about this, but I thought, oh, is he transitioning into having to kind of tone down his style and do something that's mass appeal or what, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just something, mm-hmm. you know, a little more of a straightforward narrative than some of his other movies are and was so completely wrong and just so blown away. And I remember I, I took my, uh, me and my husband went and saw it and he had told me before the movie, he said, I actually kind of didn't want to see it. He's like, I thought, here comes another war movie. I'm not that interested. And he's like, I was completely blown away. And I remember when the uh, when the critics or when the credits rolled, sorry, I was just sitting in my seat, just shocked. And I just sat there, not waiting for an end credit scene because there's not going to be one. Right. But just, <laughs> but just genuinely in awe of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it is so good. I could I could talk about that one all day too. Yeah. But uh, maybe yeah, we'll have to do an episode on that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just had to throw that in there because we're talking about him. But uh, right, let's transition a little bit away from. Uh, can I from, oh, one ahead, more thing ahead. about him real oh, fast? Sorry. No. no. Um, as go you can on. tell, I'm, I'm a huge fanboy of Chris. One thing I love about his movies is the way he opens his movies. Is I feel like unlike most directors, where he always does something to completely grab your attention you know we've for example in the dark night you have the bank robber scene or dark Knight rises the the plane scene with uh with bane and then um dunkirk to me that opening shot um just that first those first few minutes totally grabs you and feels like you're in a war zone but and inception also has a fantastic opening sequence that just throws you right into the middle of what's happening and even though you don't totally know what's going on, you are completely drawn in and invested in what's going to happen and what's going to unfold the next two and a half hours. So that's to me is one thing I love about his movies is just his hook in the beginning of how he's able to just grab you and then take you on this, this ride and, and introduce new ideas and concepts that, and make you think about things that maybe you didn't, you know, I never considered before. So I just wanted to mention that too about his films. I totally agree. I think he, he immerses you in his world and put in that kind of gets you on board quickly. You know, he, mm-hmm. it's not like he explains every single rule. The the whole, the rest of the movie does that, but right. he throws you in there in such a way that you realize you're kind of in his world now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, uh, from there kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Leonardo DiCaprio who yeah. plays Cobb, the main character in the movie. I know we all know who Leo is, but I think my some of my favorite things he's been in were like The Departed 
Aviator, Titanic, of course, is what he's kind of thrust him into fame there. Um, right. And The Revenant, I loved that movie. Uh, but he, I know that when uh, Nolan was writing this film and he was coming up with this character, Cobb, I mean, I think Leo was the only person that he thought of for that role. I mean, that's who he wanted to be yeah. starring in this movie. Right, right. And I, I've read that too. And I would, I would love them to team up again because, you know, Chris yeah. was to use the same actors and I, I hope we get to see them together again in something. But um, one thing about Leonardo DiCaprio is, so when Titanic came out, I was, I was nine or 10. So I was pretty young and I didn't, I didn't go see it cause I, I just didn't, obviously I was young and I didn't really have any interest, but I was a huge Star Wars fan and Titanic um, beat all of Star Wars records as like at the box office. And right. when I was a little kid, my brother, was a couple years older than me and he was also you know my i come from a family of stars fans and so we were really angry with titanic for a couple <laughs> years as kids and we blamed that on leonardo DiCaprio because he was that's kind of when he was like the team dreamboat type thing and yeah. you know we'd always hear people like oh he's so great and then there was rumors that he was going to be play anakin skywalker in oh, attack of the clones <laughs> and we were like oh we were like so <laughs> Yeah, we were so against that, and now I'm like, oh my goodness, we were we were morons. <laughs> that would have been, I, I mean, I don't know if he would have been a good Anakin under with George Lucas, but like, I he's <laughs> he's become actor. One of, yeah, right. But he's become one of my favorite actors working today. You know, and like you mentioned, a couple of his movies, um, and I think he deserved an Oscar long ago before he finally got one with The Revenant, um, just mm-hmm. last few years, but. Yeah, he's he's fantastic, and I, I like I said, I really hope that uh, he and uh, Christopher Nolan can come together on something again. Yeah, I think I saw Titanic. I did see it in theaters. I I, I want to say I was twelve or thirteen, but um, I mean I, I'm a girl, so I you know like I feel like every girl went and saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember the critics really ripped that one apart, and then it did so well, and they kind of changed their tune, and then yeah, it became like the highest grossing movie ever. Um, and it won the Oscar for Best Picture too, mm-hmm, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how that happens sometimes. But uh, right. But yeah, Leo. Uh, you know, I remember him from like The Beach. That's a really good movie if you haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just had such an interesting career because you're right. He started out as just a heartthrob. I mean, that's right. Titanic was like I think right after Romeo and Juliet, and um, I know there's like one other movie, but yeah. Well, it's like if you go back and I mean even before. I think it's five or six, maybe five years, four or five years before Titanic, he was in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Have you ever seen oh, that one? I love that movie so yeah. much. He's, he's great. I didn't discover that one until a couple years ago. Oh my gosh, it's um, so good. Yeah, and so he's he's been killing it from day one. And I, um, my wife and I actually just recently watched The Great Gatsby, the one that he came out with a couple years ago. And it's not necessarily like my favorite uh, movie, but his performance is great. And as the, like this guy just caught up in like you know the world and, and trying to please this woman and stuff like that anyway he, he gives a really great performance in in a, in a movie that's maybe not the best movie but as far as his role and he always brings everything he's got to every role he does and and i it seems like he's become more selective with his movies as well the last few years you don't necessarily see him in a ton of stuff but the stuff he does he always is is does does a great great job in it but Totally. Yeah. What's he doing? Gilbert Grape was in 1993 and it was right after he, I think he got that role because he was in Growing Pains. Like he was. Oh, a that's child right. Actor. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think in this movie, I mean, it really does seem like the role is was created for him. And I really like what he brings to the character. And yeah, I've, I've always been a big fan of his, but he, he's definitely changed. Like you said, I think he's gotten really picky about his roles and how he wants to kind of be portrayed uh, right. in the film. So totally agree. I um, love his intensity in this mm-hmm. movie. Like he, he brings so much to it. And then he also has this guy that he appears confident, but underneath he's just a man of desperation trying to get back to his kids, which is, you know, to me, a relatable story of, you know, we try to put on this face that we have it all figured out, but really we're just, we have something where a goal we're going after and we're, we're scared, but we need to do whatever we can to get that goal. And, and I, I really like his story arc that he goes through in this, in this film. Yeah. And, and also just the danger of what they're doing when you're, controlling a dream when you're controlling reality or their reality at that time how and and how subjective it is and how anything can kind of influence and change it yeah i i really like that part of the movie too um i guess uh so there's a lot of different actors in this movie and he he's top billing of course but let's go ahead and start kind of going into the plot and then we'll kind of mix in sprinkle in talking about some of the other actors too. Cause I definitely want to talk about everybody. Right. But, uh, however you want to do this, if you want to do kind of chronologically go through your favorite scenes, or if you just want to kind of cherry pick a couple different scenes that you want to talk about. Um, yeah, we can. So I just want to maybe, maybe we start the intro. We don't necessarily have to sure. go in order, but the introduction scene is one of my favorites. Like I mentioned, it just, it grabbed me the first time I saw it. And even as I've I've watched this movie dozens of times, probably it's it's a movie I go back to at, probably at least once a year to watch. But um, I just love the way it unfolds, and as you you know the because at, at first you don't realize they're in a dream, then you find out they're in a dream, and then you find out they're in another dream, and then they're in another dream, and just like the yes. kind of it's just so cool the way it all comes together and it's constructed, and you well like you don't understand how everything works, but you at the same time you get what's going on. Um, one of my favorite shots just visually is when he is they're trying to wake him up when he's trying to read the you know the files and and uh, Arthur pushes him into the tub and it's slowly going in and then you see where in the other dream just him being surrounded by water i i love the visuals of that how it's going back between the two and then the, you got the Hans Zimmer score just blaring so that mm-hmm. that's probably one of my favorite shots of the whole film just visually it's just really cool to and that's really where it clicks for me it clicked in my brain just how like the cool and complex ideas this movie was going to present yeah and how large how you know i i was seeing uh in the behind the scenes christopher nolan was talking about he had thought about making this movie kind of the plot kind of small and focus on one or two things. But then he realized that this, because you can control reality, the scope of it has to be really big. And so visually it has to be really big. And that's why they go through so many locations and why the stakes are so high. And, um, and I think it really, you know, it really lends itself to that. When you were talking about that scene with the water, um, I just, another time I was kind of blown away. Do you watch the behind the scenes of that one too? Um, I didn't this time, but I've watched them all before, so oh, I've gotcha. seen it. yeah. it's been a, probably a couple years. But, but yeah, they use those uh, pressurized air tanks um, because they mm. realized that if if they just kind of had water rushing in, first of all, it was like kind of wasteful because it would have to be a, an intense amount of water. But they kind of wanted it to be 
Um, so by using the air tanks, it kind of propelled it and makes it look like there's more water there than there is, but also just visually it creates a different effect and one that you're not really used to seeing when it comes to like water rushing in, you know, cause that's not yeah. usually how you see it happen. And I think right. it's cool because, uh, kind of like you were saying, it's a really good way to introduce the kick, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that Christopher Nolan does really well in this movie is he, he has these, these concepts and ideas that are kind of based in reality, but also he's just making up his own rules for this world. Yeah. And by giving us such powerful visuals, I think we kind of understand them a lot faster. And everyone's had that dream where they're falling and they wake up and they like fell out of bed or something, you know? Right. So it's like a concept <laughs> that we really understand the idea of the kick, but by showing it like with him falling into the water, I think that really kind of cements it right away. Yeah, for sure. It's And one thing, too, that I like is that he introduces ideas right in the beginning that come back later in the film that, mm-hmm. you know, that come kind of tie everything back together again. And I think he's always really good at doing that in a lot of his movies. Yeah. And, and I think this part, I mean, because it, it is, it's like corporate espionage. And so I think this is where it kind of starts off having that kind of heist feel. And then right. the, the table sort of like turn. Um, and I also like when his wife shows up too in that scene and, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, his, I guess Joseph Gordon Lovett's character kind of is telling him like, make her go away and, you know, we're here to work and I don't know, it just introduces so many things so quickly. Like you said, it just really, right. Yeah. And then as you go, you, you, you learn about his wife, you learn about all different types of things and it doesn't just get told to you all at the beginning, but you got to pay attention and stick around and see how things turn out. And, um, I, Mariana Cotillard, Cotillard, is that how you say her last name? Oh, the actress man. that plays Paul. <laughs> you think I would have looked up how to pronounce I, it. <laughs> yeah, I know she's French, and mm-hmm. this was the first time I had been introduced to her in a, in a film. Um, I think she was mostly doing French movies before this. and I, Actually, I know she won an Oscar before, but I had never seen that film be prior. But this was my first introduction to her as an actress, and... She is just she is amazing in this movie, and I I read too that she kind of said this was one of her favorite roles to to do as well. And so, um, yeah, like you said, she brings such like mystery in the very beginning that you know you don't I I don't do they they don't say his wife from the first sequence, do they? No, I don't think that they some do. Time. Yeah, that's right. So so it's yeah she's she's a great um, another great cast member in this film that really is a lot of fun to watch and brings a lot of. Um, complexity movie one of my i mentioned how there's a few moments in this movie that really get me emotionally and the scene when we see Cobb's flashback of when he her death or her, her suicide mm-hmm. that that moment the way it's just filmed and shot and pieced together is just really heartbreaking um and sad that you know that that you know he goes through that experience and that she it's also sad that she had become so convinced that she was living in uh, a false reality that she had to go back to her own her real reality is and that's another one of those interesting c- concepts that Chris Nolan throws out in this movie that I just loved and she delivers a great performance that really sells that scene yeah there's um it reminded me of I mean I I heard this after this but I was listening to oh my gosh I just keep mentioning podcasts but I think it was Invisibilia and they did an episode about I think reality and how 
our perception is our perception, you know, not that mm-hmm. things can physically be different, but it's interesting that everybody sort of has a different experience in life and they can view the same discussion or the same event so differently. And I think Christopher Nolan kind of takes that idea and then takes it a step further with the dream. How do you tell the difference between a dream and reality? And this idea that the, the more you put yourself in these dreams, the harder it becomes to tell. Because, I mean, when you dream, you do you can't tell, right? So I, right. I just I love that, that idea that you could get lost in it and how confusing that is. Um, and I agree with you. I think that uh, Marion does such a good job in this film of playing – this role that evolves as you watch the movie, because at the beginning of the movie, she's kind of, you sort of view her as like, uh, maybe like a sexy Bond girl type character, right? You know, she's, right, right. she's pretty flat. It's, you think, okay, she's really attractive and distracting and they have a history. And then you find out more and more, then she's his wife, then she's the villain in a way. And um, she just is so complex and has so many different turns to her character that by the end of the movie, it's like you have it. You walk away with a different impression of her than you had in the beginning, because you're you're very right. sympathetic towards her character in the end, and you have this feeling that Cobb is turning into her. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's an, an inevitable part of what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, and she to me is her scenes are really like I mentioned, bringing a lot of are, are kind of like the emotional core of the film and. Uh, we get that scene at the end when he kind of reveals that he had, you know, done inception to her mm-hmm. um, to try to get her out of the, their, their dream that they were stuck in and of like the heartbreak that she, the betrayal and heartbreak she has and how she, she wants him to stay in the dream with him. And he, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of this really sad, but also sweet scene in a, in a sense. Cause he mm-hmm. kind of explains, her you know we 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 lived our life here and we we grew old together here and you know it's it's crazy to think that like he lived almost two lives in a sense but it's 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 just yeah that her performance and her that that sequence how it all comes together just really is one of my one of my favorite parts of the film yeah completely agree i i think she does an incredible job and and it is like you said it's like very sad but very sweet and uh the concept of you know, that she was dead, but he could visit her in dreams. So he was holding on to these memories of her. It's Mm -hmm. like, how could you not be tempted to do that? You know, especially when it's your fault, but then, you know, his guilt and his pain, because it is his own mind, you know, she ends up sort of turning against him because she's uh, becomes a manifestation of his guilt. I love that part where he tells her that, you know, he's not really, she's not really Maul, that she's just, she's just like a, a part of Maul, the part that he remembers and he can't ever really give her that complexity that she would need to be, to be a full person. And I think that's him sort of healing and realizing that he can't keep holding on to it. The further away he gets from her, the less of a human being she's going to be because she is just a memory at this point. Mm -hmm. If we had that opportunity in a dream like that, would we take that or would we try to live our lives? And I think some to it, it reminds me of just the idea of, thinking that sometimes our lives can be can be better rather than trying to just embrace the and the things we have in our lives. So yeah, this that's one thing another part of the aspect of this film that I I really loved and just those ideas that this movie introduce and and can make you question as you watch it. Yeah, and I I really like that scene uh 
the the guy kind of presiding over them says their dreams have become their reality. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, that's kind of like with Maul where she thought the dream was what was real. It's like not only do they choose it, but they, they truly like believe it. And, right. and how scary that is. If you had contr- complete control over your dreams, like you're saying, then you have control over your, your reality in a sense. You have control over what you choose to uh, experience and and how and how you know what choice would you make in that situation totally agree right yeah yeah um well one other thing i i want to just mention too is the the action in the film um i yeah i've, I've heard be critiqued for his action scenes too oh really um, yeah <laughs> this is such, and, this is eye-opening go ahead yeah and it's uh now the the one i hear the most is batman begins which I know some of his the fight scenes in that are like kind of the close quarter combat things, and and oh, I can yeah. kind of I, I get I, that. I can forgive that, yeah. Right, and I mean it's he he definitely gets better with those films, but this movie I I think the action's is great, and I one in particular I wanted to mention was just the when they first go into Fisher's game and they immediately are just out in the rain, and the train just comes blowing through, and they immediately are attacked. Um, that whole sequence is is a lot of fun. Um, and then, of course, we mentioned the the snow sequence at the end when they're trying to get into the the hospital bed and everything. But yeah, the the action I just think is is a lot of fun, and because this movie this is a pretty serious movie that takes itself serious, but the action I think helps really bring um, a lot of entertainment value too. That not only does Christopher Nolan create a movie that causes you to question and think about things, but he also creates something that's in, really entertaining at the same time. I totally agree. It it blew my mind when I was watching the behind the scenes and that train sequence was real. I mean, yeah. I, I thought surely that's digital. I mean, in almost any other movie, it would be. It just makes me love him even more, Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. because uh, I tend to like directors that prefer practical over digital because I feel like you can tell. And I, I feel like the actors act differently when it's digital yeah. too. Um, and there's just a weight to things that are real. Um, and, and I liked in that sequence when that was happening, it, it reminded me a lot of a dream mm-hmm. and, and also just how scary it was, you know, right. it's, it's a really intense moment. And in the behind the scenes, they were saying that, they tried to do the train sequence with like, it hit like a couple cars and they realized that if this were really happening, it would be a lot scarier if there, you know, it looked even more out of place if there were a ton of cars it plowed through. And so, yeah. you know, and they used a real train like on a truck bed and just kind of disguised it. But yeah, I was, I was really shocked by that. I was like, wow, that that's a real train. I think I had a perception of this movie that a lot of that was, digital one thing that's really cool about the that train scene too like like you mentioned is that it's it really happens but i think what i think because when, when i first saw the film you know almost was eight years ago almost i i gave it was it was when it like stood out to me but then you kind of just forget about it and i think we're so used to movies using like digital effects where we don't always get the appreciation for probably yeah. all the work and effort that went into that. And the one thing I just love that that Christopher Nolan usually always in most of his movies has a scene like he's got the the, the truck flip and the Dark Knight, where mm-hmm. that was all real. And then of course this scene, and it's just I I really appreciate that they take the time to 
to construct these scenes and to really add because it is i mean it, it it does stand out i mean even you know you could do that digitally you could do a whole lot more digitally but it might not have that same effect as 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 it does here in this movie yeah when i um another director that i really like and that i think has not the same style but is also highly stylized and does a lot of things um practical uh is Denis Villeneuve uh when we were talking about the Blade Runner 2049 movie in one of the episodes he talked about he wants actors to hold something real like if they have a gun it needs to not be just like a a light gun it has to be something heavy Mm -hmm. and that they need to work in a real space not in a you know green screen and that he feels that it brings out a better performance and that the actors respond differently when they're in a real situation and I think that's why this movie works so well because uh because Christopher Nolan I think believes that too. He just knows yeah. that he's going to get a better performance out of everybody and a better reaction out of the audience like uh what would you call it the the hallway scene where it's like spinning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sequence to me was the most um the one that stayed with me the most after after the first time I saw it and I yeah, like I mentioned just seeing the behind the scenes how they how they actually built that set that's that actually they made it spin everything was just so cool and and yeah you can actually see that they're struggling over like a real gun and it feels like a real fight in this anti-gravity type environment and um and just even like the after the fight sequence when he's when uh Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is in there trying to set the charges for the kick and everything and how he's floating around there. It's, you know, it, it looks like a guy actually in a real like environment that we're familiar with, not because usually when we see anti-gravity stuff, it's in space. And so it was kind right. of jarring to see it in like a real setting in a hotel. And so I thought that was cool that they continued on with that and really made that a believable sequence and didn't have him up against like on a green screen where you could completely, you'd totally be able to see that you know, he's not actually there. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that these sequences kind of like we talked about with the water scene, they always mirror something that's happening, something else that's happening in the movie. And yeah. now you're, you as the audience and also Christopher Nolan directing it has to keep track of all these different events and how they relate to each other. So like mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the truck falling into the water, that's a really visually stunning scene as well, but that it's happening simultaneously with this other stunning scene. I mean, it's just, like you said, I think all the action sequences in it are just really incredible. Right. And one thing, too, that this movie does is it the stakes are, are really high because we, as soon as we get into the dream, um, Saito, that's his, is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah Saito. Yeah, yeah Saito. Saito. So he, um, you know, he gets shot and we, you know, you and it doesn't seem like that big a deal because then um, Tom Hardy's character Eames goes to shoot him and then, you know, immediately we find out that if he shoots him, he's going to be stuck in limbo. That whole sequence of them figuring out what they really got into because, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is the only one that actually knew that the dangers of going in um, into this when they were sedated. And so that immediately just raises the stakes right away. And I love how throughout the rest of the film, he they're able to use his character but at the same time as he goes further in the dreams you know he he kind of heals a bit but then it comes back and you always are reminded that he could die any second if he dies then there goes there goes Cobb's chance of getting back to his kids and so the stakes are just they do a great job at having stakes throughout the that whole basically as they get into the dream um 
sequence of the film and i and it just felt through the very to the last shot of the movie actually you're you know kind of on the edge of your wondering if this is all going to come together yeah um so the character or the actor i'm sorry that plays saito ken watanabe um i know christopher nolan wanted to use him because he used him in uh batman begins right he's kind of mm-hmm. the character that you think is raz al ghul and then later it's right Lenise. and and he felt that because that re- the way that reveal happens he felt that Ken Watanabe doesn't get to, you know, use all of his talent. You don't get to see him enough um, mm-hmm. because the the bigger uh, reveal being Liam Neeson, you see him more, obviously. So right, he wanted right. to he wanted to bring him back, and so he wrote this role for him. Yeah, and I think another really cool thing about his character and about this movie is I was noticing right away when I was rewatching it yesterday that I think Christopher Nolan picked up on the fact that if he's gonna have this intense sci-fi action film then the stakes have to be high not just in the dream but in reality kind of like what you're saying mm-hmm. and and i think that was so smart to have there's some action scenes are in the dream some action scenes are out of the dream too you know in the beginning right. uh the beginning sequence and uh that that is what helps bring the audience in and get invested and the fact that their mission to you know plant this idea in this guy's mind you know why would they do that? But then they kind of explain if they don't do that, then he becomes like incredibly powerful and owns like pretty much everything. So the stakes are even higher than than what's happening in the dream, than Cobb's life, than Saito's life. It affects the world. I mean, yeah. the stakes are super high. And I think that if he hadn't added that element of the stakes being higher outside of the dream, even outside of the characters, then the scope of the movie, like everything that they're pulling in with the dreams wouldn't have the same effect because you'd, you'd be thinking the whole time, oh, well, you know, if these guys die, who cares, right? Because mm-hmm. they're in a dream and they're just going to die. That's it. No, if they don't succeed, it actually impacts everything outside of the world too. And I thought that was right. really smart to add. Yeah, that, that is cool. I I, I, th- I feel like the what you talked about with um, their mission with Inception uh, on Fisher of changing his you know, try to split up his company and everything. That idea, I I feel like I felt the stakes of that, but I never thought about it in the way you said it. But it totally makes sense because yeah, this that's that's just one more layer to the stakes that this movie adds. And I, and one other great action sequence is the chase when they're in um, right after Dom meets Eames and he's trying to escape um, through the cities and everything, and he gets kind of stuck in between that wall for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh! That, yes, that, that yeah. Well, I always forget about that action sequence until it happens again. But when he's he's stuck in there, it's oh, it's just it's really yeah, tense. It's, yeah. <laughs> it is, and I remember that. I that's I don't I can't remember the trailers for this movie, but for some reason I don't remember a lot of specifics. But that was one thing they showed in the trailers, and I remember that was like holy crap! What's he, how's he going to get out of that? You know, and so mm-hmm. and and in the film, it's it's a great sequence too, and. And I, and I appreciate that they they add that in there because if they didn't probably have a, a quick action sequence because there's a lot of um, setup going on after that first opening scene to when they actually go down to the dream. There's a lot of just explanation of plots of how things work, uh, setup, which is very necessary. But if, if we didn't have that that sequence to kind of break it up a bit, I think it maybe would have lost audience members a bit. Um and then also, I I love the way Christopher Nolan does montages in his movies. They don't really mm-hmm. feel like a montage, but like there's that scene when they're they're all in the dream, all the main characters, and they're kind of in this like circle, standing around just chatting mm-hmm. about 
kind of how to how to work, how to make everything happen and work, and and then it's intercut with other sequences of explaining like how they're going to do the kick um, and just different things. And I, I and as I was watching, I was like, well, this is this is kind of like a montage scene, and it but doesn't feel like one. And I and and I love that it it does that in a very engaging way and keeps you interested about how they're how this is all working and and what their plans are, so that when we get to the main set pieces of the of the in the dream we are very invested and we kind of get how this is all work yeah um i don't know if this is jumping too much ahead but i wanted to talk a little bit about joseph gordon levitt's character we've talked about a lot of his scenes already uh, as arthur but uh you've probably seen that honest trailer where they kind of joke that all he does is exposition the entire movie it's just kind of like what you're talking about telling uh-huh. the audience all these rules and he literally spends the entire movie explaining the movie to you you know right. and uh but he does it in such a way that it's extremely engaging um so i think him along with the visuals that you're talking about and this in the montages and you know everything that this uh, movie does to set you up it gets you invested in the in the world of the movie and it doesn't feel like a chore when he mm-hmm. explains how things work you're not disinterested it's kind of like right. I was trying to think another movie that I felt did that a little bit was like, you know, that there's that scene of in Back to the Future where uh, Doc is sort of like explaining how time travel works. And, you know, like, yeah. that could be really boring because it's almost right. like, hey, let's stop the movie and explain how this movie works. And this movie has that throughout the movie. It has to because without that, you wouldn't understand what was going on. But it has to be done in a, a, a dynamic way to where you're invested in it. I think that's yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, no, sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Go ahead. Okay. So I was just going to say, I, I had never watched that. Um, it was an honest trailer you said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually haven't seen that. I haven't seen that one. But it you totally makes sense. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. But um, I, I, it totally does that his character is kind of serves that purpose. But another that I think he does really well is he adds a little bit of humor to the movie. He does, um, yeah. And Nolan, once again, is I've heard him critique that his movies don't have humor. Um, and while <laughs> he he may not have like a you know like what maybe like a Marvel movie or something that has, but his humor is more subtle. And I actually think you know you might not laugh out loud at a lot of it, but there is humor in his films. And I love the dynamic between him and Tom Hardy's character and how they're just always kind of messing with each other um but yeah that's another thing that i felt his character so i guess he's there for explaining things and then also a little bit of humor yep yep yeah he's he's definitely one of the characters in the movie that's a little more two-dimensional we don't learn about how he got there what his motivations are he kind of just tells you things in the movie or like when ariadne says things like, oh, I thought he told us not to, Cobb told us not to do that. And he says things like, oh, you've noticed Cobb says a lot of things and then he does mm-hmm. them. And it's kind yeah. of like, again, he, he sort of is interjecting, you know, some information about the film again, but it's told in such a way that it doesn't feel, you don't feel like burdened by it or like, oh, I have to keep up with that detail too, you know? Right. Because <laughs> it can feel like a lot. Yeah. No, I completely yeah, agree. Yeah, he kind of he reminds you as you go along of like, oh, this is how it works. In case you forgot earlier. Because his character is kind of a worry wart, right? Like when he's getting tense, he goes, remember, if if this happens, then this happens. So it's like, like you said, it's, it's, it's reinforcing the themes in the movie and the rules. And, but because his character is really the straight man in the movie, um, it it makes sense that he would be the person that does that. He's, he's kind of like the C-3PO of the group. He's always kind of worrying and reminding people (laughs) at the, what's, what their odds are and everything. But 
Um, I really, <laughs> yeah. I really liked Ellen Page's character a lot too, because she's she's kind of I feel like the audience surrogate. You know, mm-hmm. she thrown into this world, and we're kind of seeing she's seeing things for the first time as as we are as audience members. And but she, I also think I like about her is how she challenges Cobb. Mm-hmm. Um, no one else really seems to like challenge him. I mean, Arthur does a bit, but not like she kind of does. And she's really the only one that kind of gets what's going on with him emotionally and um, mentally. And she's there to kind of just like put him in check, help remind him of what's real and what's not and, and what the mission is. And and I really liked her role in that. And same thing, we don't get a ton of background on her either. Um, she's kind of there to serve that purpose of helping pro- propel our main um antagonist of the film but i i still thought she was a great addition and gave, gave a great performance as well yeah no i completely agree i was thinking about that last night when i was watching it um i i said that to my husband i was like she is so new but she's immediately challenging everything about it i mean when uh in that scene where he's kind of training her and he tells her, you know, don't change too much. They notice. She just kind of does it anyway. And I think yeah. that kind of sets the tone for the character that she's kind of not a wild card, but she's definitely not going to just listen to his rules and go by them. All the other characters, I think, revere Cobb. You know, they know that he's had this big problem that's happened in his life and that on some level they're aware that that makes him them less able to trust him. But I think that they trust his abilities so much that they're willing to kind of overlook it and it kind of takes a Mm -hmm. fresh pair of eyes to come on the team and go wait a minute you guys are glossing over something here with Cobb you know and she sees it right away and because we know she's a risk taker um, in that beginning sequence and she continues to be then it's really believable that she would be the one to constantly question him you know right yeah and and I think too sometimes when you kind of hang out the same people all the time um, everyone gets kind of used to the way you do things or mm-hmm. even if you're doing something maybe not the right way or whatever or you're he's not very he's not very stable like emotionally and, and yeah. they maybe just got kind of used to that and she kind of comes in and is able to see some of the cracks in what's going on and help try to fix those and point those out so um, and sometimes it takes a fresh set of eyes to be able to do that and and so yeah I really like her character in that in the way she plays that role yeah, yeah. I think she was a really good choice. Kind of like a different choice, but mm-hmm. but a good one, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's another scene that you really like from the movie? You kind of want to um, yeah, there's, there's so I mean, there's, many, right? There's <laughs> like so many good scene. ones, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Was, oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I, I really like all, pretty much all the stuff with Tom Hardy. Um, oh, yeah. Specifically, I love like his um, when he's impersonating uh, Fisher's uncle and everything, and just like oh, yeah. his he to me he's he's like the most um, James Bond in this movie out of out of all the rest of the characters. Yeah, but yeah. I really like him, and this was the first time I'd seen Tom Hardy in anything. And I know he'd been in some stuff before, like one of the Star Trek movies and some other stuff. But this was my first introduction to him and he's immediately became one of my favorite actors. And I, I also like how he kind of takes on a lot of the heavy action in the final act of the film as they're, um, you know, going through that snow base, but his stuff is just really fun. And to me, he brings the most like entertainment value to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause like I said, he's, he does a lot of the action. He's got some of the more comedic moments 
Um, and he's also just kind of an instantly likable character that you are kind of rooting for and, and hoping that they can all pull this off. But, you know, you, of course, are attached to Leonardo DiCaprio and his character. But he, Eames' character was one, too, that really stood out to me as someone that I wanted to really be invested in his his mission and, and what he was doing on screen as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, Tom Hardy is such a chameleon. I feel like there's so yeah. many times I've watched a movie and not realized that was him. Like, in you know, Christopher Nolan has used him a lot, right? He was Bane. He's in this movie. He's uh, in Dunkirk. And, right. And um, I swear I watched all of The Revenant not realizing that was him. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like somehow I just, he looks so different in the accent. Everything just threw me. Um, oh, his accent is, yeah, it's, it's perfect. It yeah. Just, and that's, that's, that's one where I, I don't know if he got nominated for an Oscar, but I, like, I was like, he, sh- <laughs> he should have won his too. But yeah. And then he, Mad Max, he's, he's great in that yeah, too, even yeah. though he kind of doesn't have a ton of dialogue, but that's <laughs> what he, he does such a great job at just acting with his, you know, like his physical presence, his eyes and things like that. But yeah, he's, he's definitely become one of my favorite actors. Oh, for sure. And kind of calling back to what you were talking about earlier about uh, that scene, the beginning scene, I guess, where you kind of meet him, um, his character, where they're kind of going back and forth. I think what really adds to the credibility of this film, too, is that uh, the characters in the dream, they're able to do those things in real life. And I feel like that makes it feel a little more real, right? You know, you you get that beginning kind of act that that scene that's sort of half action, half in reality, you get the feeling that these characters can really pull this stuff off before the dream machine, right? right? You know, like Tom Hardy's Mm -hmm. character, I mean, he's smooth and he's, you know, quick thinking and he knows how to deceive. And so you believe it right away that he's able to do those kind of things. Yeah. And that's, and then even like, we don't necessarily know, like, like we've talked about a lot of the background of the characters, but you you get the sense that these these people have some type of like maybe it's military background or something like that because right. the way they're able to handle the weapons. Um, especially, I feel like that with uh, Tom Hardy and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's characters, yeah. uh, especially because they kind of have a lot of the action. But yeah, it's I I, I, never, I never thought of it that way. Thinking about how they have these talents and skills that they bring with them into these these dream sequences as well. Yeah, I remember, uh, just like a funny aside, uh, my dad saw this movie, uh, I think, when it came out, and he didn't like it, and he said that he didn't understand how in the dream they're able to do all these things, and this is so funny, he was like, because in the Matrix, they train, and that's how they're able to do everything, but they don't train in this (laughs) movie, and I was like, dad, well, first of all, it's a dream, it's not the same, I guess I can see the parallel there, but it's not the same as the Matrix, but also, in a way, they don't have to show them training because they have trained, you know, Yeah. it's like they imply that all these characters have some kind of background that's very physical because they show you that in the beginning of the movie, and in, in, in parts throughout the movie they imply that these characters already have a background in espionage or in the military or in on some you know some level like that yeah and they're doing this and it's kind of it's shady right you know they're not working with the government here these are yeah. some some ragtag team that is doing something and they're all just highly skilled right <laughs> i mean and, and no offense to your dad i mean i mean if they put in a, a training sequence oh, of them learning, that would have dragged this movie out it's already two and a half hour which i'm fine with but right. it would have slowed the movie down a lot but 
I know um, training sequences one, are not my favorite, so I would yeah, not have appreciated that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it can be okay if it, but yeah, it's you know, like in, I I enjoy it in a Star Wars movie usually, but that's sure. that's kind of my. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, lightsabers involved. It's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one one sequence that I I really like a lot though is when get into the second layer of the dream and mm-hmm. they have to convince fish that he's dreaming and that you know dom or uh, Cobb is the main like his head security over his subconscious and, and things like that that sequence is a, just a lot of fun and it's really cool how it all happens and that feels very um james bondish well yeah uh, it does yeah i agree so that's that's another standout of this movie too that's just it's just like a cool fun sequence um but also like the stakes are still because you know when things happen you see all the people start looking at them and they kind of have to like figure out ways to distract his subconscious from not catching on to what's going on so it's that's a really cool one as well and i feel like the you know the uh, wrench that's kind of thrown in their plan too is that killian murphy his mind or his his uh, subconscious defenses are better than they expected. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought he was such an interesting casting choice too. You know, um, I, I mean, I thought he was perfect when he was in uh, uh, Batman Begins as the Scarecrow because I mean, he just kind of looks like a villain, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and right. uh, he's just very, he's got a very intense look. So in this movie, a part of me was like, okay, is he going to be evil? Like I'm. This is how I sort of perceive this guy a little bit. I mean, I guess he wasn't a bad guy in, what was it, 28 Days Later? <laughs> but um, Or mm-hmm. in Sunshine. But he just he just has a look. And so I kind of not really sure what to expect from his character. And I think he just plays it so interestingly and so different. And um, and like you said, it's, uh, you know, they're having to implant this, mo- this idea in his mind. And I think at this point in the movie, I was trying to decide whose side I was on. Because I know I'm supposed to be on Cobb's side. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's heartbreaking what they're putting Killian Murphy's character through. Just to Right, it kind of is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Messing you know, with all his emotions and his yeah. father issues and stuff. Yeah, but... beating up his uncle. Like, it's like, golly, yeah. this is, you know, this is heartbreaking. and uh... Kidnapping him and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he goes through a lot. Um, yeah. But, and he's, uh... Sylvia Murphy's, I, I love him. He And he's become a Christopher Nolan, you know, oh, main sure. stay in... pops up with most of his stuff. But he, uh, and I, before this movie, I think, you know, I'd seen him in Begins and the the other one that stood out to me was Red Eye, which I've only seen it that one time. With it's Rachel McAdams is in it. It's like that they're sitting by each other on a plane. He's this creep of a guy. But so oh, I, I was just yeah, it was it was kind of I don't think it was necessarily like the greatest movie. It was just like a thriller. But he plays this creep, and so I'd seen that and Batman Begins, and those were kind of the two things that I really knew him from. So yeah. I was I was the same thing, expecting something to for him to be kind of like just a straight up villain, um, mm-hmm. which he's not. And I actually liked that. He actually gets, I mean, he, he gets maybe rounded out a little bit more than some of these other main characters do, but oh, for sure. I mean, cause they're exploring his, his, his dreams and everything. But yeah, he's a, he's a really good actor that I just, anything he's in, I'm always excited to see what he, he's going to bring to it. Yeah. I love, yeah. If you ever get a chance, that movie Sunshine, uh, it's by Danny Boyle, the guy that directed like, Slip oh yeah, Out millionaire. And yeah, he, it, it's really good. It's a sci-fi. Um, and then 28 days later too, it's probably like one of the only zombie films that i like really genuinely enjoyed um it's yeah that's really like been on my i've wanted to watch that for a long i've just never gotten around to it but one yeah. of these days i'm sure i will 
should check it out. It's really good. But yeah, yeah uh, in this movie, uh, you know, he's he's also just a complex character because I think after a while I decided, okay, well, he's rich and, you know, I mean, he's kind of playing uh, a huge millionaire so or billionaire probably. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of perceived him as being, uh, you know, privileged and maybe cold, especially in the beginning of the interrogation scene when he's trying to like sort of negotiate oh, you can't kidnap me, I'm insured up to 10 million or whatever he said, you know. It's <laughs> like you have this perception of him and then they kind of peel those layers away as they have to break into his mind and implant that thought. And you're right, he's he's the most rounded out character in the end. Right. Uh, his yeah. relationship with his father is so complicated and uh, I, you probably, I'm sure you know this too from watching this movie so much and the behind the scenes, but it sort of mirrors the... Um, what Christopher Nolan was going through because his father had recently passed away. So he definitely like imbued a lot of that into the, into the story and into his character. And so I think that's probably why he's the easiest to, I guess, relate to and why it's the biggest emotional hit. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. I never actually never knew that about Christopher Nolan's dad passing away and that being something that that's really interesting though. Yeah. You can definitely see why that maybe would become, you know, we'd learn more about this, this character, but, um, I don't know if this is jumping too far to the end, but oh, no. Jump I I just wanted to mention the final last I don't know it's like last five minutes of the film the top um, the, the controversial top scene <laughs> yeah well I mean and just the build up as soon as they like wake up from the dream and I don't know if you're a film soundtrack person do you listen to movie soundtracks at all you know I used to a lot more when I was younger but I appreciate soundtracks yeah well I'm a huge like. Uh, soundtrack junkie I, I any movie i watch i usually will listen to the score and i mean at least once or maybe not the whole thing but i'll pick out a few but um the track time which is the 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 track that plays that last sequence is one of my all-time favorite musical compositions in a film and to me it just brings that scene brings that so much intent like even when i've seen this movie like i said dozens of times i still like feel like i perk up as soon as you see Dom wake up from the dream and you're not sure, you know, I mean, is he, is he back or is he going to be able to make it through to see his kids? Um, just the, the tension in that scene and way. And to me, the, a lot of the credit just goes to Hans Zimmer's score. Of course, yeah. Um, and I just absolutely love that sequence. And then of course the controversial, um, final shot of the film. So <laughs> I'm curious, what are you, what's your thoughts? Do you think he's still dreaming? Or you think he's, think he's awake? So, I'm going to be the kind of movie person I am and say, it doesn't matter to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think that that's something that, you know, he's, uh, I'll I'll post the article where he literally talks about the ending. In fact, let me pull it up. Maybe I can grab like a quick quote from it. But um, to to me, a a lot of times people get caught up in wanting answers. And I think Mm -hmm. you have to decide, does the answer truly impact the rest of the movie? Um, I think that just like the character, it doesn't matter to him anymore. And so in a way, it shouldn't matter to you, if that makes sense. Like, he doesn't wait to see if the top topples over and you don't get to see it either because, you know, Cobb doesn't care. He's chosen his reality. His reality is this one where he gets to see his kids' faces again. And it's really hard to know if um, those are his kids or not because a couple of things. Um, we know time is different in the in dreams and in reality. So we don't know <laughs> how much time in reality has passed, right? Right. Um, so this it could be five or six years later 
or it could be that this this only happened a few months ago. We don't actually know because that that could be something you go to, right? It's like how come the kids look the same? Well, they yeah. might if this only happened a few months ago. But what if it happened a few years ago? We don't know. Um, it seems unlikely that they would be wearing the exact same clothes as in his memory. So that you know, I guess you could possibly use that as a clue. I remember when he was walking even out of the airport, I was having doubts. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Because, no, I that totally did. Because it was too easy, right? You're like how. You know, what is, how, how would he, I, I understand that that character uh, that Ken Watanabe played told him that he could do it, but they never explain how he does it other than he's rich. So it well, what be, I find oh, interesting ahead, is he, sorry, he didn't mean to interrupt, oh, but no, he no. just says that when he gives his um, passport, the guy calls him by his name. And so I, I always like was thinking, well, maybe he's going to give him like some fake passport that he'll have or something, you know, to get him back in a new identity. So, I mean, that's just another interesting thing that I thought was kind of that they gave. He was able to still use his same name, but how with just one phone call, could he clear that all up? Um, Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't. Yeah. And and, uh, I know Christopher Nolan, his answer to that question was he said, I feel that over time we started to view reality as the poor cousins to our dreams. In a sense, I want to make the case that to um, I want to make the case to you that our dreams are virtual realities, these abstract distractions that we enjoy and surround ourselves with they are subsets of reality so uh the way the end of the film worked leonardo characters cobb he was with his kids he was with his own subjective reality he didn't really care anymore and that makes us that makes a statement perhaps all levels of reality are valid the camera moves over the spinning top just before it appears wobbling and then it's cut to black he's like i i skip out at the back of the theater before before people catch me and there's a very strong reaction from the audience usually a bit of a groan the point is objectivity it matters to the audience in absolute terms even though when i'm watching it it's fiction it's sort of a virtual reality but the question of whether that's a dream or whether it's real is the question i've been asked the most out of any of the films i've made it matters to people because that's the point about reality reality matters i just thought that was really interesting yeah i love that so yeah that's awesome i i totally agree with what you say about this ending i it it really at the end of the day doesn't matter to me i i actually really like when movies can give you enough information for but not necessarily tell you how something ends but give you enough to where you can kind of figure it out on your own and you can choose and i mean it's exactly what you said we can choose how we want it to end based off our own you know, the reality of, uh, or how we viewed this film, our own perception of it. And so that's exactly what he was trying to do. And I, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's fun to discuss. Like I, oh, sure. I yeah, totally I... enjoy like having these conversations and the thing, one of the things I loved most about this movie was after seeing it, I, cause I saw it opening day, like I mentioned with the, there was probably like 15 of us, 15 of my friends, we all went and saw it. And, um, we all, I remember just sitting outside the theater debating and discussing what we thought or, and you know, we all kind of, I am pretty sure we all really enjoyed the film, but we all were just had different views on maybe how it came together. And I remember I saw this movie, I think I saw it four times in theaters. Oh, um, I was about to ask you that. That's yeah. Awesome. So I, I went back multiple times and I remember I actually, um, I no, actually it might've been five. Cause I went on, I know I saw it on three different dates. I took three different days to see it as I was. <laughs> and, uh, um, I remember like the first one, the girl, I think she, she kind of like, wasn't really into it. Um, so anyways, the, the next girl I took on the date to see it, she 
like she I remember during the movie she's like wow this is like I could she was making comments to me that she thought it was interesting whole film but she hated the ending she was just like yeah, I cannot believe that I just wasted it. all my time and then <laughs> the the final one the person I actually saw it with my my now wife but we weren't she wasn't my wife then but she she had actually seen it as well so we both this was our second or it was I think my fifth time but her second time and she we ever just had like conversations about it my wife's not necessarily a huge movie person but she she i mean she loves movies but she usually doesn't discuss movies like i love to but this was one film that she she actually discussed with me and i think that's one thing i just absolutely love about this film is it got people that usually don't talk about movies to talk about a movie if that makes sense oh yeah completely uh yeah i i what you're saying about how some of your dates reacted to the ending, I think a lot of people felt that way. And it's funny because it's interesting how much we get used to having a, you know, a, a neatly wrapped up ending. But in the movie itself, they constantly remind you that it's hard to tell what's real and what isn't. So it, to mm-hmm. me, it, it only makes sense that the ending would be that way. You know? Yeah. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be satisfying to me. Like, if he just got off a plane, got his kids back, and they're like, it's all real, everything's fine now. You know, like, to me, that would be unsatisfying. Yeah, I t- totally agree. Yeah, it, it was actually the only thing I wasn't crazy about at the, the ending of Dark Knight Rises. Like, I... I would have preferred, you know, that that Bruce Wayne didn't get that neat ending. We could talk about that some other time. Yeah. But, you know, in this movie, I, I love how open-ended it is and how mm-hmm. it's sort of a metaphor for the whole movie itself. You know, how do you tell what's real, what isn't? And it's funny, like Christopher Nolan was saying, like, we insist that we know the ending, even though we know this isn't real. It's just a movie. Like, how, why is that so important to us? Uh, so it's just kind of funny. I, and I just think that's a perfect... Um way to view our our own lives in a sense is that we think you know as human beings we we like to find answers we don't like to just go off of faith all the time or or try to you know and so we all you know we each have our own values our own personal beliefs that we think are that are right and that are true and that we we live by and they they could very well be but at the same time there they there might be something else out there that that might be true as well or we can add to what our own beliefs are and things and I love that this movie kind of represents that, that in life, we're not always going to know all the answers, you know, I mean, yeah, that's true. maybe, maybe I'm getting too philosophical, but no, I, like, no, I agree with you. the, the you questions know. about like, where do you go after life and whatever, I and mean, people, everyone has different opinions, but, um, you know, we're not going to get all those answers necessary and that's not a bad thing. And I think this movie challenges us as viewers to, to, to kind of see the world a little, maybe a little bit differently that, you know, we what we think might be the answers, there might be some truth to it, but it might not all be right. Um, and I just love that about this film. And it's to me, if there's ever like a perfect ending to a movie, this is this is it. I, I love how this film ends and just how it wraps everything up in his main central ideas all together in that last shot of the film. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, I agree with you about the whole, you know, wrapping everything up in a bow and how life isn't like that. I mean, that's that's so true. I mean, you know, at the end of a, a, of a fairy tale, it's like, and they lived happily ever after. But nobody really does that, right? Like a bunch of right. different things happen. Your life continues. And 
you know, you can't really wrap up a story that way necessarily. Um, so in this movie and in some of the best movies, they just don't do that. It, the yeah. movie ends where the story ends, but that doesn't mean we get a resolution for the character's life or everything they did after that. And I feel like sometimes when you do get that, it kind of cheapens the story because we're, we're supposed to focus on this moment, you know? And so I yeah. like how it, it stays that way. Well, were there any other scenes that you wanted to kind of like pick out and talk about? Um, no, I think we hit the main. I do want to just quickly mention um, Hans Zimmer's score. Like I, I I talked about that one track, but you know, this film to me kind of revolutionized film scores in a sense because it was one of the first movies to use that like, you know, like that noise here in trailers and and movies even to this day. And I know a lot of people that kind of complain about that and think it's overdone. (laughs) And it is to some degree, but it probably is. But I mean, in this movie, it made perfect sense. Yeah, and. You know, I think, you know, we'd heard that type of sound because this score, in a sense, sounds to me reminds me a little bit of Blade Runner's score, the yeah, original Blade Runner. I could totally see um, that. Yeah, there's there's some differences, of course. But like this movie, I feel like really popularized that sound in movies again and mm-hmm. everything from like the Transformers movies to, you know, I I was a I feel like I just saw another trailer the other day where I I. It sounded like the Inception score. <laughs> I but, feel like, uh, yeah, any movie that has sort of like a natural disaster or just something big that it's about to happen, they mm-hmm. now use that, yeah. But yeah, this to me is one of my favorite film scores and it's one I can just turn on and listen to anytime and, and really just enjoy it. So I wanted to make sure to mention that as well about the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, one last thing I want to throw into is Michael Caine as Stephen Wilde oh, yeah. in the movie. I don't want to forget about him because he, he's in a lot of a lot of uh, Nolan stuff, too. And, and uh, I appreciate his character in this movie and kind of the role he plays and uh, sort of trying to figure out, you know, sometimes if they're, you know, in a dream talking or if he's really there or, you know, what role he plays in the end. And, you know, I, did you ever have a moment in this film where you're wondering if the entire plot was also a dream like just Cobb's dream um yeah I definitely have had that and not necessarily my first viewing but in subsequent viewings I've thought that um and you know I mean it very well could be there's one that I've heard is um that I thought was kind of interesting is when he you know they have their little totems that they use and Mm he he is using malls that's the the, the top actually isn't his and so we never actually see his his um his totem so and and some people have made that correlation maybe because he's still stuck in the dream or in one of the layers of the dream that they were in mm-hmm. um and he thought he you know he was able to make it out of one layer but didn't quite get back to his main body so it's yeah. it's it's interesting thing to think about too but and, and also i i mentioned michael kane because he says like it's time doesn't he say like it's time to come home to him like uh-huh. and that, and that could have more than one meaning right like it could mean yeah. it's time to come home to your kids or does it mean he's like it's time to stop doing what you're doing does it mean wake up in a sense you know like i don't know i just i get that it and like you said after several viewings definitely not the first time but um michael kane's character in that movie has always been interesting to me and i i've heard you know some criticisms of the movie like well you know this plot doesn't make any sense why can't he come back or why can't he just any time under the radar come back or you know they come up with all stuff it's like because that doesn't matter in a way he kind of doesn't want to come home right because of what mm-hmm. happened with maul 
Um, and I think Michael Caine sort of plays that character that's sort of always bringing it back up, you know? He's like, you should come back. This should be your end game, not what you're doing. And then he says, this is how I do it. And he seems really unimpressed with that, um, with that idea that, oh, this one last gig is going to get me back home. It seems right. like a, a further distraction and that Michael Caine kind of sees all of it as a distraction from dealing with reality. Mm-hmm. You know? well and i (laughs) yeah and i think his kind of his kids and everything to me seems like it's a reminder of his failures with his wife and so going back home would be having to deal with that and he's kind of a character that likes to kind of bury things away as we as we know Mm -hmm. and not deal with his guilt and his failures and and so michael came to me his character kind of symbolizes a reminder of that failure for him and um but also kind of on a side note too i've heard in an interview from michael Caine, and i don't remember exactly where this was so i maybe it's not true but he said that all his scenes are he's he mentioned that all his scenes that he's in are in the reality so like the main and so that's true that's that's true yeah and that's that was his interpretation though i don't think chris renolan ever told him that was what what it was but for him Mm -hmm. that's the way i think he said that's the way i I film is that when i'm there it's we're back to reality so yeah, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I can totally understand Christopher Nolan not answering that because that would that would mean that the ending is real, right? <laughs> but, I, uh, but and I, I hope oh, Christopher Nolan takes his this secret to the grave with him. I hope yes. he never comes out and is like, <laughs> oh, actually, this is what it was. So yeah, You mentioned Blade Runner earlier. It's like, was Deckard a replicant? We'll never know. You know, yeah. it's like it's one of those questions we don't need to answer, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I with that one too i hope we don't ever find out (laughs) exactly well um i guess if you are done with the scenes let's go ahead and ask you your last two questions um you know we've spent this time kind of discussing this already but what what is it that keeps you coming back to this movie why did you see it four times in the theater and why do you continue to watch it oh man that is a (laughs) loaded question right yeah because there's (laughs) there's so much and i've said a lot already but i think the biggest thing is just i love the and this is going to sound contradictory, but the simplicity of the movie and also mm-hmm. the complexity, because no, at, yeah. at the end of at the end of the day, it is a pretty just like you can view this film as a just a simple, entertaining action sci fi movie. And but at the same time, it's very complex because the first time I saw it, I came out and I, I was like, you know, I think I got how everything worked. But but there and I think does a good job that if if you are one of those types of people that just watches a movie once that you can see this enjoy it get get what's going on and kind of move on with your life but if you're like me where i'm a kind of a guy where if i like a movie to challenge me and to have other things that i can go back and view and and dissect and discuss and, and think about more and so that's one of the main things that keeps drawing me back to this movie is that i can always go back and i can find new stuff even just in our conversation Right now, I've you know, there's stuff you've said that I haven't thought about, or even things I've just realized as we've been talking about it yeah, that I yeah, absolutely here. love. Um, so that is one of the main reasons. But also, just I love a movie that can, like I said, challenge me and present new ideas, and also, but also at the same time, be emotionally engaging. And this movie is really emotionally engaging for me. Like I mentioned, there's a, even that scene at the end when he's going to see his kids and we're not sure mm-hmm. if it's real or not that scene you know the first few times i saw it kind of made me tear up a bit because i was just like you know really hoping that he could 
kids just for his sake for for dom's sake in the in the movie but so but yeah i mean those are those are some of the main reasons why i keep coming back to it but it's it's one that i you know look forward to watching for the rest of my life i um we my wife and i just had a a baby two months ago and i look forward to share this oh thank you well i look forward to sharing this with my future kids and and all that stuff so that's awesome uh, but yeah so it's 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 great i i love this film yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I enjoy movies that have rewatch value because I want to analyze something to death. Like, I don't want to just walk out of there with all my questions answered. Um, sometimes I feel like if it does that, I, I'm less satisfied. You know, I, I think this is one of those films that it's almost like an unsolvable puzzle, right? They have that analogy even in the movie. And I think I like movies like that. I think I don't want to know all the answers, but I want to be invested enough to where I'm asking them, you know? Right. And uh, and so that's what's kept me watching this over and over and over because uh, he, you know, Christopher Nolan paid that attention to detail to where the details are there. It's not all just just concepts you can see physical things and there are situations in the movie that you can analyze that you can come back and see over and over i totally agree with you it's got tons of action in it and it's visually stunning so people that just want to see that surface level of it they're going to enjoy it but if you want to dig a little deeper that's going to sound corny but (laughs) we need to go deeper um but uh you can you know with this film and so and so that is what i appreciate about it as well um I don't have kids though, so I'll have to just show them to my dogs, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I have yeah, like, work. <laughs> yeah, they, they love it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what what would be your movie pitch for this? Like, what or what do you tell your friends? Do you have any friends that like haven't seen this before, and you're like, you need to watch this movie, and here's uh, why, kind of thing. Yeah, I've I've had those conversations before. <laughs> um, kind of the first thing is like, well, what have you been doing with your life? Stop <laughs> doing what you're doing immediately and go watch it. But um, yeah, I guess my pitch is just, um, you know, I, I remember when I met my, my wife and I was, so like we met the summer this film came out and Aww. I mentioned we, we saw this on a date and everything. So when I, I, it's funny, I actually knew her dad before I knew her, but, um, and didn't know him that well, but as I was getting to know him, I remember like we movies came up once and I said, Oh, this is one of my favorite movies. It just came out. And, um, he hadn't seen it yet. And so the way I, I kind of sold it to him was, kind of how I introduced it in the beginning was it's it's kind of got a little bit of James Bond feel to it. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's also got, uh, it's a heist movie. So if you like something that's just kind of interesting and, and fun, you get to see these different unique characters interacting together. Um, but at the same time, it's its own unique thing. And I, I really love when Hollywood does original things. I mean, I'm a huge fan of sequels as well and, and, and franchises, sure. but, but I'd love original movies. And so that's kind of my big sell is just, you know, this is a film that needs, I mean, it, I guess it doesn't necessarily need to because it made a ton of money, but, you know, it's, it's original. I, these are movies that we should go out and support because um, I feel like people always complain about there not being enough originality, but then when so something right, yeah. does a lot, a lot of times they don't get that much support. And so, right. so yeah, that's kind of a long answer, but that's, no, no, that's, yeah, that's how I sense. talk about it. I think you hit a lot of good like dad sweet spots there too. James Bond heist movies. Yeah, <laughs> that'll 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 nail a lot of people down. Um, but but yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think, like you said, this movie is is pretty original, but it still calls back to things you're familiar with enough to where you can really appreciate it. And I think that um, it balances all those different things so well. It's it, that that makes the film really unique, even among 
uh, Christopher Nolan's work. I mean, yeah, it, it's probably one of, if not my favorite of his movies. And I, it's definitely one that I probably revisit the most. Um, it, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely like I hadn't watched the pers- I went through like a Christopher Nolan kick about six, seven months ago where I it was after Dunkirk came out. Actually, I went and rewatched all his movies and I hadn't watched like Age or Memento for a couple years. But this one, I like I said, I watch it probably once a year. And it's it's a big toss up between me and the dark or this and the Dark Knight for my favorite of his movies. Yeah, but I it's, can see that. Yeah. Um, and. I know a lot of people don't like this one, but the dark Knight rises is also one of my favorites of his, but anyway, so yeah, it's one I go back to all the time, but yeah. Yeah. I think for me, probably this movie, uh, dark Knight. Uh, yeah. It's really hard to pick one of the, out of those two. And then, um, I don't know, I guess just cause it was the first one I saw memento is one when that movie came out before he had this like long history movies. I remember buying that on DVD and just watching it like over and over. So that's probably the one of his that I've seen the most, but yeah, for this movie, I mean, yeah, I would just say this, this is such an amazing visual and psychological thrill ride. So mm-hmm. how could you not want to see that? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Like that's, you said. <laughs> that's actually, or that's a great way to describe it. Way simpler than I did. <laughs> so, oh, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> no, no, I, but I, really I mean, if you just need, it. if you, you got like five seconds to pitch it. That's I think what you said. It's perfect. It, you know, I, I think it's because a lot of my movies have that tagline to it. <laughs> a lot of the movies I like are kind of like dark, psychological, thrilling, you know, so it kind of hits all the, all the beats for me. That would be how I'd sell it to, to myself. But, um, well, thank you so much, Thomas. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, thanks for reaching out. And, you know, I totally enjoyed watching this i mean because you're such a like comic book guy i feel like you should come back and do like batman begins or the dark Knights, one of those movies because i I would really like to discuss those too yeah um why don't you tell people a little bit about your podcast and just how they can find you yeah so i have a podcast called superhero movie cast um i also recently started it uh, uh earlier last or about mid last year of 2017 and um, it's a podcast that's about all about reviewing and discussing superhero movies and why they are inspiring. So I try to look through some of the themes of the movies and pick out what things can be we can take away that can maybe make a little bit more impact in our lives. But yeah, yeah it's just about superhero films every once in a while. I, and also Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars guy, so I do talk Star Wars. But um, yeah, you can find the – it's on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher Radio. Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we, we're there. Um if you want to reach out to us on Facebook, we're at SuperheroMovieCast.com, also Instagram, and then uh, my email, if you want to contact me, is um, SuperheroMovieCast at gmail.com. But yeah, so if you're into superhero films and like discussing them, then that's a that's a good place to, to check out some more about superhero films. I just listened to your, uh, it was like your top 10 episode, uh-huh. or your, your rankings. Uh, that was really good, so I really appreciated that. I liked oh, all thanks. the yeah, I liked all the different uh, all the different people on your podcast. Their different takes on those different movies and how they felt about them. And you picked like favorite moments and things like that. I yeah. really appreciated that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I that's really... one thing we usually do. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say one thing. Yeah, we I always like to do is just talk about like the favorite moment from a movie or the most impactful scene. So, um, yeah, so we'll usually have one of those conversations on the show as well. Oh, yeah. No. And and I was just going to add that uh, I really like what you're doing with your podcast because I feel that when it comes to movies, there's a lot of people that talk about superhero fatigue 
Or, you know, they're like, oh, let's get away from all these franchises and let's do real cinema and, like, you know, let's get gritty and original. And I think sometimes I feel like people take that idea a little too far. And, you know, a lot of people really enjoy these films. They really love these films. And I, I like it when people take a positive spin on that. You know, there's a reason why people are seeing these movies so much, why these franchises last so long. And that's a positive thing. That's not a negative thing, you know. So right. I, I really like what you're doing with it. And Thank um, you. Yeah, I and I really appreciate that. And it's the same thing I'm trying to do on this show where uh, we don't have to only pick like art housey films that you mm -hmm. like pick apart and and over over critique, but uh, we can just talk about our love of film and and why we keep revisiting it. And I mean, right. Inception is kind of one of those movies that falls into both categories. So I think that's like a perfect yeah. first movie for you to have chosen. So yeah, and I that's probably one of the reasons why I love it. It's because it because yeah. I, I I do love other films outside of the superhero genre. It is my favorite genre, but but there's other stuff and um and I'm glad I could talk about something outside of it cuz I that's what I do every week is talk about super <laughs> movies which is I love doing so yeah um but I think too like I one one way one reason I started the podcast was cuz I heard a comment from James who's the director of Guardians of the Galaxy where he was someone accused superhero films of just being not having any substance to them or not that they're just kind of churned out by studios to make money, which of course they totally are. But he basically <laughs> said that make money. <laughs> okay. Or they yeah, don't and, continue. <laughs> right. And, and his whole thing was saying like, yeah, he's like, that's totally true. But I also put in just as much time and effort and thought into, and this was before the second guardians came out, but the first guardians <laughs> as someone who made, you know, an Oscar winning film as well. And, and it doesn't necessarily need to have that same Oscar recognition, but there's still a lot of substance to superhero, especially I feel like the last few years they've really, oh, yeah. they've tried to find directors that have something that, that they want to say as well in their films. And, and that's what I love to, to look for and, and discuss on, on my show as well. So. Yeah. And we're so spoiled, right? Because we've got oh, all yeah. these <laughs> movies coming out and they're so good that we're just getting over the top nitpicky, right? Like I think right. there's some movies that have come out recently that um, had they come out 20 years ago, we would have been like, this is the best movie ever. But because we have yeah. so many good superhero movies, we're sort of, our expectations are just through the roof at this point. So I think it's good to have someone like you and like some of those other podcasts I listen to, to as well, like DC Suicide Squadcast or Holy Badcast that, that, you know, give a 100% positive spin on mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff because I mean, it, it should be enjoyed and it is making a ton of money and a lot of people are enjoying it. So it's not like you're crazy for, you know, for focusing on superhero films. There's, there's a right. reason why they're so popular. So yeah, I appreciate it. Well, um, thanks again. And yeah, be thinking about and picking your next, your next movie and hopefully have you yeah. back on here soon. Awesome. All we'll right. look forward to it. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, it was really great gushing about Christopher Nolan uh, this week with Thomas. Um, I love Inception, as I mentioned, so thank you guys for listening to that. I also have a couple quick shout outs because a few weeks ago I mentioned that I was on a guest on a couple of podcasts and I have a couple more that I want to thank really quick. Um, David from the Tales from the fandom podcast featured an episode on me and my fandom so check that out if you want to hear about some of the other stuff i'm into uh, also one of my guests ian has a podcast of his own called dad boys and i was a guest on there a while back discussing an episode of the x-men cartoon so i just wanted to highlight ian because he's a good friend that i've known for years and he was really one of the first people to 
suggest that I branch out and start my own podcast. So just really appreciate his support. Uh, I also attended a birthday party this weekend for Kelly J. Kitchens. She's a local publicist that helped me get that amazing Douglas Pipes interview and to see the kids in the hall at the Ernie Kovacs Award. So happy birthday, Kelly. If you guys have any feedback on this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa, or I'm in the closed Facebook group. I love that movie. The group is closed, but if you just send me a request, I'll add you. It's a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. My only role is keep it positive, guys. Uh, If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. And if you leave a positive review in iTunes, you'll be entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. We are at 17 reviews right now, and I'm going to draw again once we get to 30. So leave one today. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening, and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.